The Athletic. And welcome to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. Coming up, McCabe unleashes the full arsenal. England dominate in Europe and inclusive leagues. Hello, it's Lindsay Hooper here with the Athletics Arsenal reporter Art de Roche for this week's Athletic Women's Football Show. Art, we've gone for you. We've gone all guns. <laughs> pun intended, because it was a big week for Arsenal. We had to get you on. How has it been for you watching this week? Thanks for having me, first of all. Um, it's been quite uh, an eventful week. It's been very hectic, as you can imagine. But um, yeah, it's just, I guess, nice to have gotten through it with, I guess, positive results from an Arsenal perspective. But I think more importantly, very positive performances as well, which I'm sure we'll we'll get into. So yeah, I'm doing very, very well on this Monday morning. I hope you are too. We will be getting into those. I am. I'm very good. Thank you. I've got my spring colours on and I know this is an <laughs> audio show, but for anyone who's wondering, I'm wearing a nice bright yellow top today. I'm feeling spring <laughs> as I look <laughs> out my window. Uh, later on in the show, we will be speaking to Helen Hardy, Hannah Thornley and Alex McEvitt about setting up alternative grassroots leagues to be more inclusive to non-binary and transgender players. That's coming up. I think in most leagues, as trans people, it can feel like we're guests and it can feel like maybe we're allowed or included, but maybe we're a second thought. And actually it feels like Clubs United have really like centered us and really included us and really welcomed us. But first, we need to talk about what a big week it's been for English football. Two teams through to the Champions League semi-finals, plus the WSL title race and relegation battles are red hot. And I see on The Athletic that your money is on Man United to win it, Art. You went there. <laughs> you did it. Yeah, I, it was a really difficult one. And I feel like the answer is probably going to change week by week. But what kind of drew me towards them was just it's kind of their first time properly going for it. And it just reminded me a bit of Arsenal in 2019 when they were kind of the surprise package of the season. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I, that's kind of why I lent towards them. But who knows? I, I feel like when we get closer to the actual final day, everyone's mind, let alone mine, is probably going to be thinking in all four different directions. But uh, for now, I think they're, they're in, a, in a decent um, position, even, even with Chelsea and Arsenal having games in hand. I am sticking with Chelsea. I'm going to do that. But I don't think anyone can call it, really. It's so tight. We had that one season in 2014, Liverpool back-to-back titles. No one expected them on that final day to win. And we had a trophy. I remember doing this show, and there was a trophy in the middle of a motorway. And it had three different possible destinations (laughs) it could go to. Goodness knows who that person was and how whether they just stayed at a services waiting yeah. for the call of where to send the trophy. But it could be four teams this time. I think the high probability is it will be four going mm. right down to the final day. I think goal difference could also come into it as well. Man United did stay on top. And whilst we talk about goal difference, they are doing themselves huge favours in that department. A 4-0 win over Brighton. Chelsea beat Aston Villa 3-0, avoiding that banana skin potential after Champions League and going to extra time and penalties. So after the weekend, Man United are top on 41 points. Chelsea are second. They're one point behind, but they've still got that game in hand against Liverpool. Arsenal moved up into third with a game in hand also. They're now ahead of Manchester City on goal difference. And I think it goes to show how topsy-turvy it's been. You've got one week Manchester City beating the holders Chelsea and then the next week they're beaten by Arsenal. Do you think this is going to be like this until the end of the season, Art, or will we get some consistency (laughs) back? I I really do think it's going to continue on like this. And I know you mentioned the memory of, I guess, the the trophy having three potential 
destinations in 2014. I remember last year, obviously, it went to the final day and mm. Arsenal were at West Ham while Chelsea were playing Man United. And where the press box was at West Ham, it was right next to the bench. And Jordan Nobbs was actually injured at the time and she was live streaming the Chelsea game uh, <laughs> from the stands. So um, I think an experience like that is probably going to be very similar to what happens this year. Um, oh, obviously, sure. she'll be playing, uh, so it might be a different player. But she might yeah. be having a say. Her and her <laughs> yeah, exactly. Villa teammates. Yeah, it's, it's actually ridiculous. The I guess coincidence that she'll be playing Arsenal on the final day of the season. Oh, um, I know. But yeah, uh, I think it'll be very exciting for the rest of the season. Should she score, I think we can all <laughs> safely say that she will not celebrate if she yeah, does. Um, actually, no, I was going to say something, but I feel like I might be a jinx, so I'm not going to say <laughs> what was in my head. <laughs> okay, you hold on to that. Maybe we'll coax it out of you once the title's done and dusted. It's brought us on brilliantly, actually, to the fixtures because a listener of ours, Nathan, got in touch. We often put out on socials to get in touch with any questions, anything you want us to cover on this show. Uh, that remains between now and the end of the season as well. So do get in touch at The Athletic FC. Uh, this is what Nathan wanted to know. Who would you rather be in this final run-in? Whose remaining WSL fixtures would you rather have from the top four, Art? If it was me, I would prefer Chelsea's run-in. Um, yeah, I agree. I, I think the basic logic is you want as as little head-to-heads with your rivals as possible. And I guess we, we saw it this weekend, just how quickly things can can change because at one o'clock, we'll say <laughs> one o'clock on Sunday, Man City are level on points with Man United by three o'clock, they're fourth or eight o'clock because Chelsea played later on. So yeah, for me, I'd rather have Chelsea's run in there. I know they obviously have the semifinals in the Champions League to contend with as well, but just looking at that list, I think that that is the one that I'd prefer. With your Arsenal hat on for a second, I don't know whether you'll know the answer to this. I feel like I know the answer on the men's side, so it must be the same. Okay. But I was talking about this at a couple of games over the weekend. If Arsenal, now we've got two English teams in the semi-finals of the Champions League. If Arsenal win the Champions League, but finish fourth, does that mean we only have two spots available, first and second, to go into Champions League? I'm not actually sure. <laughs> I want to get to the bottom yeah. of this by next I, week we need to know the answer yeah I haven't thought that far ahead <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> um, I'll ask UEFA and come back to you guys with please do please do I want to know the answer to that relegation wise we can't ignore this one either because Leicester City are off the bottom of the table put the bunting out um, it was thanks to an injury time winner over Reading Brighton now moved below them and they're propping up the rest. Do we think it's going to be Brighton, Leicester or Reading who go down? I don't think we can see much else. Although, should we rule out Spurs? Ooh. Ah. <laughs> That's a really tricky one. I feel like out of those teams, the team that I would back really is Leicester. Just because I feel like when you look at the season and the table as a whole from top to bottom what really kills teams is draws. And I think it's weird to see that Leicester have still only drawn one game all season. Um, if you're getting three points, I know people don't want to lose, but that draw, I think when those kind of crop up too too often, they're almost eaten away at you. Um, yeah, you'd rather win one, lose yeah. two, than draw yeah. two. Because you're, you're almost going one step forward, two steps back in a way, if you keep drawing games. So I feel like just going, looking at how they play, they looked so threatening as well against Reading, wave after wave. So if they're able to keep that momentum, and I don't think it can be underestimated how big those 96th, 7th, 8th minute winners can be for belief as well, because I think it just makes you believe something's going to happen in in games after that. So for me, I think they'll be okay. And uh, Brighton's interesting as well. 
just because Brighton of the Cajun fans, hand. Well, yeah, I, I was just about to say fans are going to be shouting on the yeah, show right now to say, can you please point out they have yeah. got two, not one, two games in two. hand. Uh, they are against Everton and Arsenal, though, which is mm. tough opposition. It is, but I think even last year they showed against Chelsea they can turn up against top teams. So it really comes down to what happens on the day because there may be a team who's slightly complacent. <laughs> and um, again, when when you are in a position where you have to fight for something, I think it just brings out a little bit more in players. So it'll be interesting to see how that situation pans out. But for me, I feel like Leicester can do something and stay up. You are backing them, right? You've gone all out, Art. <laughs> Man United for the title, Leicester to stay up. Um, one match at the weekend that could have a huge say in that table order, certainly towards the top, was Arsenal against Manchester City. We'd all been waiting for it and it all took place at Boreham Wood. Arsenal play the corner short. Here they come. Short is driven in and what a goal it is! Katie McCabe, a Wow, I don't know where to begin, because you could feel, couldn't you, the importance of that goal. Watching McCabe's celebrations with the whole bench, they looked like they were going to lift her in the air, and I was thinking, no, 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 she is the bionic woman, but don't break anything else. (laughs) But with that strike, Arsenal came from behind for a huge 2-1 victory over Man City, putting the Gunners back in the Champions League spots. Can we start with Katie McCabe? What on earth is she made of? So on the Wednesday in the Champions League second leg against Bayern she at the end of that game is pictured on crutches there were whispers as well from their medical team on that night that it might be a metatarsal which everyone in football knows oh no don't Mm. say it's a metatarsal I've then got people on on site on the day at the weekend at this Manchester City game saying she has three holes in her foot. Now, (laughs) they might have been joking. And this is Jackie, one of the match managers. She might have been joking about it. But I could honestly see that there could be three stud marks in her in her foot. The last thing you want to do is be the person that gives Katie McCabe a pedicure at the end of this season. That's the job (laughs) that nobody wants. But wow, she is just incredible and she sums up the grit the belief the determination to find a way yeah it was really fitting that she was the one who was the difference really in the end and when uh she came over to do the post-match interviews she showed us her boot her left boot and you could see the stud mark the hole in the boot was still there um (gasps) from from wednesday's game i did ask if we could get a picture of it but she was she was too busy to to, um let us do that Um, that could have got in your article for sure yeah yeah i was that's what i was thinking i was like please um (laughs) but she mentioned that anyway so luckily there's a quote rather than a picture but uh yeah i just feel like as you as you said she for ages has been Arsenal's most aggressive player, if you want to put it that way. (laughs) I know Leah Williamson will probably want to argue that point, but it's just really interesting that she was the one who, yes, symbolised what Arsenal had to be about, both against Bayern and Man City, to get over the line because obviously without Kim Little, they had to play quite differently, I felt. And yeah, she, in almost every way possible, symbolizes that combative nature that benefited Arsenal so much this week. Jonas Edevar afterwards mentioned as well, he's probably this little stretch of March to April has probably been the best he's seen of her in an Arsenal shirt since he arrived, obviously. And that she actually said that she was going to play on Sunday on the Wednesday after getting injured. So (laughs) it felt like a very universal, bigger than life kind of week. I feel like last week we suddenly switched on to Manchester City after they beat Chelsea and we hyped them up and we started to say, I mean, even Chloe Morgan was apologising to Gareth Taylor. And then they come along to this game, get in front, but can't hold on. It ended a 14-game unbeaten run for them in WSL. It's their first loss since September. Why couldn't they get it over the line when they got their noses in front? It was strange watching it all unfold. I felt um, Yui Hasegawa, I know she's been mentioned on this pod before, but she was just ridiculous, honestly, in terms of being able to set the tempo 
of the game, I felt she gave City a real kind of foothold in that first half. And then you could see in the 20th minute, Sabrina D'Angelo goes down and Arsenal have their little tactical <laughs> water break with Edeval giving them instructions. And straight after that, Arsenal are back into the game because I think the switch he made was basically told Pelova to get a bit higher when pressing and that caused City some issues. And I think that's when the battle really started to get interesting because Arsenal were just, again, a lot more aggressive in what they were doing, weren't letting City play. But also, I guess you have to remember City did miss a lot of chances in that first half. You had um, the big one with Lauren Hemp at the back stick where she just slices it over. And I think there was another uh, cross that just bounced off Bunny Shaw almost two yards away from the post. So it was a little bit of luck, I guess, on Arsenal's side. But beyond that, I just felt they were a bit more versatile and switched on. So second half going to a back five that he used in February and it didn't go well. It actually worked quite well this time because Katie McKay playing three different positions in the game finds <laughs> finds freedom <laughs> Adam, uh is making those off ball runs. And I think just giving City a few different um, challenges to solve really swung the game in Arsenal's favour. And then from there, they had Jen Beattie on, who's got to deal with everything that comes into the box, really. So yeah, I, I felt it was a really high quality game, even though City would be disappointed with the the chances that they missed. I just thought it was a proper battle. Emma Hayes calls Chelsea mentality monsters. Carla Ward was even repeating that to me in the match yesterday, prior to kickoff, about them. But we have to start saying that about Arsenal, don't we? Because they came from behind to win the Conti Cup. They beat Bayern, having been 1-0 down in the first leg. They beat Man City from being 1-0 down in this match. How do you think they're doing it? I mean, Kim Little being out as well just adds to the woes, but they're Mm. finding something from somewhere. It's been really interesting watching their growth since Edeval's come in. I think if you remember in the summer, Jonas Edeval, I remember on the final day of last season, spoke about wanting to train with the academy boys to basically get them used to having less time on the ball and off the ball, really. And you can really see that that's been an important part of their game, both in the league and in the Champions League this season, where they've been so intense whether they're in front or behind, that teams sometimes can't just, they just can't live with it. Shared pain. Some of (laughs) that literal. Yes. Some of it is literal pain. And on that note, with the World Cup this summer, Viv Miedemar has confirmed she's not going to the World Cup. And then from the comments we got from Serena Wiegmann in the last press conference for the Lionesses, she spoke about Beth Mead needing a miracle to make the World Cup. So it sounds like she's out as well there'll be huge misses to that global stage. Even without those stars, though, what a week it has been for Arsenal. We mentioned on Wednesday, they overturned a 1-0 deficit to win 2-1 on aggregate over Bayern at the Emirates to reach the Champions League semi-finals. And this included a stunning goal art from Frieda Marnham. Giving it away again. This is Frieda Marnham! What a finish from Frieda Marnham! I love this goal so much. Tell us why it was so great. That goal is everything Arsenal want to be under Jonas Edeval, I feel. I don't know if you feel the same, but yeah, yeah. It, when we look at Arsenal over the past five years and you look at, I guess, the way Joe Montemurro wanted them to play football, it's very fluid, very kind of just do what you want in a way. And then they go to Edeval and he still wants them to be very good technically, but there's a lot more aggression. And that's where the goal comes from. They were able to force Bayern back to their keeper, which they did in the first leg quite often. And then from there, win the ball, one-touch stuff, which is very Arsenal. And then that finish, I just feel like it... (laughs) I'm struggling to find the words even now, but um, it just shows someone who's playing with confidence and freedom. Coincidence that her name's Frida, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) Um, Like that. (laughs) <laughs> but um, yeah, I, and when it was unfolding, in, obviously in the press box, the press box is right in front of what happened. 
and I was sat next to Michael Cox and we just kind of grabbed each other because it was a very wow moment. And yeah, it was a, a lovely goal to kind of kickstart a lovely night. I love that you talk about your embrace with Michael Cox because I did want to give a plug to his article. He wrote about that press, that high press from Arsenal and how key it was in that game. If you want more analysis and breakdown of that Champions League second leg against Bayern, then go and consume that. It is on the Athletic website. Wolfsburg, I guess we move this on a little bit to the next opposition. And history says that Arsenal have got some grief. They've got some pain, more pain <laughs> when it comes to Wolfsburg. They reached the Champions League semi-finals in 2012-13. Who did they lose to? Wolfsburg. And they were knocked out in the quarterfinals last season, 3-1 on aggregate by Wolfsburg. Wolfsburg. So they don't want it to be a hat trick, do they, Art? Um, no. Can they handle them this time? Do you think past history will mean that they've learned lessons or is it going to haunt them further? I guess the main thing for them is finding a way they're comfortable with playing that game, whether it be, okay, we're not going to have as much as of the ball, so we need to approach it in this way. Or if they want to go toe-to-toe and really (laughs) make it an entertaining game, I think that could maybe suit them because... Uh, we've seen they're able to play at 100 miles an hour as well. So yeah, I think it's going to be a lot more difficult than than the buying games. And I guess the big thing will be just to go there without fear, really. Because even last year when they played Wolfsburg at the Emirates, they were able to get a result. I think it was, again, very late goal from <laughs> lots of Uber Moy to equalise. But they've shown they can perform in flashes against Wolfsburg I know both teams are a year on now, but I think the main thing is go there believing that you can get something from the game. They are going to have to rely on on spreading out the goals, unlike Wolfsburg, who can just rely on Eva Payor, <laughs> who's just scoring incredible amount of goals, top of the Champions League at the moment with seven. And I don't know, we haven't got an argument for how that stacks up. Is it better to spread the goals around or just have one serious goal scorer? We will find out. Uh, not one, but two English teams then that made the Champions League semi-finals this week. Haran, who scored eight goals so far this season. Up against Berger and it's saved! And Chelsea are through to the semi-finals of the Champions League! Oh, the drama at Stamford Bridge as Chelsea took on Leon. It looked like it was all over. In the dying seconds of the game, Lauren James wins a penalty, probably the latest penalty I have ever witnessed in my football reporting career. Marin Melder scores it because she literally has ice in her veins, I think. She takes the game to penalties. anne Katrin Berger saves two. I mean, there's other dynamics to this narrative, but let's just go for the, the headlines. anne Katrin Berger saves two to knock out the eight-time winners, Leon. Charlotte Harper, you were there at Stamford Bridge. You're with us now to talk about this one too. Thank you for your time. Really, up until that point, can we be honest about this? Lay it bare on the table. Chelsea didn't deserve this one, did they? No, they didn't. There was an onslaught of Leon pressure. I mean, they had two huge chances in the opening five minutes. And I was also sitting next to Michael Cox. And he's a great guy to sit next to in the press box because you just thought Chelsea aren't clicking. It was a real kind of lacklustre start. Leon came out with such intent and aggressiveness And like they did in the Champions League final, Leon against Barcelona, they were just going into those crunching tackles and and it was so far removed from the first leg. It was a completely different Leon side. But Chelsea did have their chances. You know, that beautifully delivered ball from Lauren James to Sam Kerr, one-on-one with Christine um, Endler, took it flush in the face. Mm -hmm. I, I had to see it back on the replay to see how she saved it. But yeah, I did not think, if you told me that Chelsea would win on penalties after extra time, after Maram Yelda's 127th minute penalty, I would not have believed you at all. Last kick of the game as well, Charlotte. So the referee, lots of people have spoken to me about this because the referee ushered everyone out away from that penalty being taken. My understanding on that is it was to prevent 
let's call it some housery <laughs> that could have happened <laughs> with a final kick of the game. So M- Mialda just knew that she could just focus on that, score, it goes to extra time. But then that narrative then continues with her because she takes the first penalty, Charlotte, which I thought, is this girl... Is she, is she stupid or is she brave? Because I couldn't work it out at that time. Why would you go up and stand up first? So you're taking back-to-back penalties. But once again, she was just so calm. Ma'am Yelda, backer. Mm, I'm never going to doubt her again. Never. The team obviously knew it. And also to have the last kick of the game, if it's saved, it's done. If you score, we go into penalties. So that much pressure riding on her. And then to just go two minutes later and do it again. I mean, we had the whole Harry Kane conversation during the World Cup and Maram Yelda's just put it to bed. I mean, <laughs> it's easy. Just score both penalties. <laughs> What's the discussion about? But yeah, to go top bins, top left-hand corner and then slightly lower just to keep Endler guessing. Unbelievable. Was it a penalty and a couple of the burger saves one of them, I I heard from the Leon quarters, a lot of unrest over coming off the line. So did you did you watch any of those incidents back? At first, for the penalty, I didn't think it was a clear and obvious error uh, in order for it to warrant to go to VAR. But having looked back on the replay, I did think it was a penalty. She was caught in the box, and there was contact. So. It was a penalty. I was right behind the Leon bench and they were appalled. They were in dismay. And I'm I'm going to rewind a bit because the first goal that Leon score by Gilles, it's a poor goal to uh, concede. And Michael Cox turns to me and goes, what a shit goal that was. <laughs> and then we're next to the French, the French journalists. And then, magnifique, c'est magnifique. <laughs> <laughs> And then Leon scored the second goal and the bench go nuts. And Sonia Bonpasteur, the Leon coach, turns and says, Calme, calmez-vous. Because at that point you thought, you know, I mean, come on, you're 2-1 up against Chelsea. There's no chance that they're getting back to this. So I just had to get a sense of the tension in, in that stadium because when you say Leon were dismayed and uh, Sonia Bonpastor said it was injustice that the penalty went against them. And then again, raising concerns with Berger off her line. <laughs> they have the technology there. They could have called her up for it and they didn't. You actually caught up with Karen Bardsley, who was in the stadium after the game. I want to get a goalkeeper's point of view on all of this. This is what she had to say about anne Katrin Berger, who did, by the way, get player of the match. Like all the stuff that she's gone through in the last two, was it three seasons, three years, you know, and the ups and downs and like, this is such, like, this is a huge moment for English women's football and she's been a part of that now for so long, but it's also, maybe it's like a chip on the shoulder moment to the rest of the world, the people that don't recognize her, don't select her for Germany, like just those types of things. It's like, see, like in a positive way, Going, yeah, like I deserve this kind of thing, which is really, really cool. The one that really stands out was obviously the last one against Horem, like, because she didn't faint to go like a different way. She just took one step and then pushed and then just fully extend, like everything was full extension. Everything was heading in the same direction, head, hands, shoulders, feet, everything, you know? And so that to me was just like, I mean, if I have to take something away from the save itself, it was at the perfect height for a keeper. You know, if it's too low, it's hard sometimes to get down that quickly. If it's too high, obviously out of reach, but the height was perfect, but she still had to get there. And in that split decision, you just commit to one way. Yeah, in that moment, you can tell that that's what she did because I think there was no zero hesitation whether it's she knew or whether it was just a guess, it doesn't matter, really. And to me, it looked like she, she 100% knew because like you can, you can almost time it where you can see that she was kind of taking a step forward and then diving. And it's like, you can't, if you hesitate, you can't take that step. You can't build up momentum in that short space of time. I could sense there, KB, 
actually living that out. She was actually doing a demonstration whilst doing that chat with you, wasn't she? Hats off to KB. This is at midnight. Emma Hayes has just done a press conference. I say, KB, can you just talk me through the saves? And we're outside and she's kind of enacting the saves, <laughs> full extension <laughs> with her arms going. I'm quite sad I didn't get a video of it. <laughs> Let's talk about Lauren James. Simon Johnson has broken the news on The Athletic that Chelsea have opened talks with her over a new contract extension. She's got two years left on the current deal. Uh, Chelsea want to make her one of the best paid players at the club and in WSL. Uh, The club hope to have an agreement in place before the end of the season. And she's pretty deserving of this. Do you not both agree? Yeah, she's she's becoming such a high-profile player that... Chelsea want the deal done before the World Cup because if she explodes on the World Cup stage, then it's it's like a shop window. So many other clubs will be thinking, wow. It's, it's savvy from Chelsea. You know, Manchester City's Gareth Taylor was saying Chelsea is the benchmark. And they said how good their succession plan is in terms of players and contracts. They get their business done early. They look to the future. It's not last minute. I mean, look at Manchester City's exodus last summer and suddenly we're scrapping around trying to find Yui Hasegal, which has come off very well, as you were saying. Here's a bit of insight from Emma Hayes over a cup of tea at Bescott Stadium yesterday when they're playing Villa. There was a little kitchen area and she was in there and we we're having a chat and she was just pointing out, when we were talking about pain earlier with Arsenal art she was just pointing out with Barcelona as the next opponents how long they have been planning to have this game against them and I think for anyone who's thinking oh Chelsea are depleted they're tired they're they're not really playing at their pomp at the moment I just would put out that warning that I think there's a lot of backroom staff that have been working towards Barcelona for a very long time you kind of get that sense that that stung, yeah. that 4-0 humbling defeat. And revenge is um, a dish best served cold. And we said Marmielda has got ice cold veins, so I don't know. Ooh. Either that or we're going to have another snowy spell in, in the middle of summer. In this, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it's going to be, but it will be cold, Charlotte. It will be cold. Yeah, 2021 final to remind you that Chelsea did lose 4 0 to Barcelona in that. And Chelsea are the only team left in these semi finals who haven't won the competition yet. Thank you very much, Charlotte, for your time. No worries. Thanks for having me on. This is the Athletic Women's Football Podcast with Lindsay Hooper. According to the FA's rules, players must play against people of the same gender and the inclusion of trans players is done on a case-by-case basis. This wasn't good enough for Helen Hardy and Hannah Thornley, so they set up alternative leagues for cis women, trans people, non-binary and gender non-conforming people as well. Earlier, I caught up with them and player Alex McKevitt to find out more. Helen, Hannah and Alex, great to see you and have you on the show. Helen, we had to get you back on. I know you've been on fairly recently, but you know, you're a woman of many talents. You set up the Alternative Football League about two years ago. So can you begin by telling us what made you do that and where it's grown to now? How many people are involved? So we launched the AF League or the Alternative Football League for residents of Manchester as a direct result of the only offering out there for adults being the FA leagues and with the Football Association for anyone basically that hasn't noticed we are the FA backwards so we call ourselves AF league and it was as a direct result essentially of of a lack of inclusive opportunities in Manchester for people so the league is open to all people of all abilities we focus primarily on sort of adult beginners simply because that's an area really that that hasn't been touched upon or hasn't hasn't really got a support network out there for people in Manchester. Um, but it's open to all people, non-binary people, transgender people, women, and and it's it's really thriving now. So we're we've got three leagues, two operating in Manchester, one in South Manchester, one in North Manchester, and we've just launched one in Liverpool. So on a weekly basis, there's probably five, six hundred adult women 
in the northwest of England benefiting from the Alternative Football League now after two years, which is pretty incredible. That's amazing. And then Hannah bringing you in with Clubs United in a fourth season now. And it's an inclusive space for cis women, trans people, non-binary and gender non-conforming people as well. Now, one of the things that I don't think many people will be aware of is this testosterone level and the fact that you had to submit blood tests to show those levels, even at grassroots for trans women to be able to do that. So was that part of the the driving force to create this such inclusive space for you? Yeah, indeed. I think it was really just because there was so much red tape around the other spaces that we were having to kind of play in. And every other space that we seemed to go to had these rules in place that we obviously had to get a number of players to kind of have to take part in. And it was just something that was just putting such a hurdle up for like many different people. And it's just something as well that isn't really needed at all. I don't think it's really, you know, it's just not a thing that I think the sport needs. It's not a thing that really impacts anybody. You know, this is like grassroots sport where people choose to play with whoever they want to play against and with. And I think because we couldn't find it, it was a case of, right, I played football from being age four. I know how these spaces run. I know how to do it. You know, why not just, you know, give it a go? And it's gone really well. I didn't expect it to be as big as it is. We're now in our fourth season. We probably cater about 120 people every week. Um, You know, and it's just a really fun, inclusive, safe space. And everybody just has a really great time. And it's just amazing to see that this is how football could be played and including everybody you know in a way that like people obviously come to want to win but it's like the main thing is just fun and people getting along with different people that they might not have met and without any kind of hurdles at all and this is where we bring in Alex which might be painful for you Hannah because Alex is a player plays for Star FC and Star (laughs) FC yeah yeah, beat you I was just gonna get to that (laughs) beat Camden Bell 6-2 at the weekend oh my word (laughs) oh I love it (laughs) (laughs) so apart from being on the right end of a 6-2 victory Alex what else made you want to join the league Oh, well, we're, um, Star is a new club, an all trans club, and we're a mixed gender trans club as well. So there aren't many spaces or leagues that really cater for our like specific needs. And Clubs United is such a, like a beautiful, inclusive space that I think, I think in most leagues as trans people, it can feel like we're guests and it can feel like maybe we're allowed or included but maybe we're a second thought and actually it feels like clubs united have really like centered us and really included us and really welcomed us in a way that I can't think of another league I've really experienced that where I really felt like no Hannah has really made a space that have put trans people at the center of this space and it's really a beautiful thing. Yeah, well, what difference has that made to you? You know, someone who's passionate yeah. about sport, having that opportunity, I'm sure that's really difficult for you to put into words. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think like what Hannah was saying earlier about red tape, like I also play other sports. I play water polo. And as a person who is a transmasculine person and I take testosterone, I had a two-year battle with swim England to let me play in a men's league and it was so awful like they were asking me lots of questions about what my body looked like and I had to provide blood tests and what Hannah has done is created a space where we don't have to justify ourselves we don't have to do any of that we don't have to go through any red tape like all we have to do is turn up and we're welcome and it's just a lovely thing. A lot of the time in in the media in particular and on social media we lean on the negative but this weekend alone you know Manchester Laces took part for Trans Awareness Week in a friendly game against Oldham AFC we had a bake sale and raised some money and there was like hundreds of us there just like in the sunshine playing football in this inclusive awesome environment and I think there's there's a lot said about all of the negative stuff going around at the moment but there's actually loads of incredible environments where we're making change and we're doing our little bit to to show that we don't represent this small minority of people, that there are loads of people that are inclusive and there are loads of people out there that, that want to make that change. 
knowing you as well, Helen, I can't imagine that you're not lobbying the FA at the same time for some rule changes. <laughs> and Hannah's nodding along. Alex is just oh, yeah. leaning forward. They're all involved in this. <laughs> We're all like this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. I think the policy is is being looked at, but I think the frustration from me with regard to the FA is that Hannah and myself have both publicly spoken out about the trans policy within the FA guidelines. But 2016 was the last update. It was 2023. And, and, and you just think about how much the world has changed um, in the last two years even. So I just think it's just not good enough and we're not being given clarity on when the changes are coming about. So yeah, I, I am working in the background on on just wanting to get answers, I think, primarily, as opposed to wanting to know what the answer is. I'd, lo- I'd love to know a timeline of, of when we're going to get some answers on, on a policy change and, and what that policy may look like. And, and and I think the biggest frustration is Hannah and I are key stakeholders. Let's have a conversation. Like I, I want to have a positive conversation. I'm not here to argue with people. I want to I want to talk about it positively and hopefully make that change happen. Yeah, I definitely think that that is it. And I think that's why you know we were so focused on like going to actually set up a space because those discussions were just not taking place. And I was becoming so annoyed at like how little was being done by these you know so so called leaders um, and it's just like oh okay well we can therefore go away and create a space while this happens and prove to them that these spaces will exist whether or not they want them to because they cannot control like people playing football as a whole um so i hope that by proving that these spaces exist and they run so you know well and people have a really great time and football is at the heart of that and they obviously want football to be at the heart of everything they do I think we have proven that over and over again for the last you know three years I I want to come on to the challenges and what you're wanting to achieve because this is also a voice box for you to say look we hit a brick wall here and here and here and I want to start with you Alex so on a week-to-week basis can you see already anything that that annoys you that you think ah that's that's not right I want that to change yeah right I think early on as a club we had lots of discussions about like, how do we keep our players safe? And just listening to you both talk about the challenges that you have with the FA, I, I really it really struck me that I think we feel really unsupported that as a, a grassroots club of like 15 to 20 trans people, we don't feel like there's a lot of structure that we can lean on to help us if we experience transphobia. And what we have to do as a club is just walk away if we get misgendered on the pitch, if our trans women particularly, who are, get, who are the focus of a lot of the transphobia, experience transphobia in, in games, the power we have is just to walk away. And it would be really, I think what we would love is to feel like there was some policy that would help us feel like supported and cared for. Hannah, I know one of the things that you've brought up is pitch space. This seems like it's a, a conversation across the board when it comes to grassroots football. Yeah, I know. That's a, it's a very real issue. And I know that does span across many teams. I think particularly in London, it's maybe probably a bit more prominent because it's a small place. You know, there are a lot more people in like such a compact area. And uh, cis um, men predominantly do like can't afford to block, block, block spaces, which means that you know, smaller, newer teams perhaps can't afford to access those spaces to play week in, week out. It's very, very difficult. Um, We've also had quite a lot of trouble with cis men encroaching on the spaces as we're walking off as well, which I think going back to what Alex just spoke about, when people really deserve to feel safe when they are playing this sport and when a cis man approaches them, it does ignite that fear and like right what am I going to face here and it's it's just something that people shouldn't have to face you know we have it week in week out with men kind of coming on on the pitches even before we're done and it's just like oh well we've got this now and they do it in such a way that is so aggressive and just isn't called for and it almost makes me feel like they don't believe that we're worthy of playing as well and it's just constantly having to fight and it it's having to fight for space it's having to fight for play it's and it's just so tiring when we just simply want to play so yeah we have had to to change the days of the league um also funding as well is a bit of a problem because we obviously can't afford to kind of you know continue 
paying for those spaces. So I have to have like a month off so I can put down like a large amount before the clubs obviously pay me back. I think when you're a new club as well, it's very difficult. Um, You know, it's a really difficult time anyway, right now with, you know, all the cost of bills and things like that and, you know, food. Everything is so expensive at the moment. Hobbies are the first thing to go when you're having to cut back. But at this current time, hobbies are what we need the most because we need people. We need to be able to access that fun when life gets gets uh, hard. So I think in a dream world, I'd really love to offer, you know, free um, games and free spaces. But at the moment, that's just not doable. So I think funding and space are two major, major problems across the whole board. Yeah, I definitely think that it's an issue that affects London more than it affects Manchester. And that's predominantly down to just the sheer amount of people in in a small in a small space. Manchester, it's definitely all the all the things you've raised are are prominent too. And um, in Manchester, I must admit, Karen Bardsley is heading a legacy panel and we're seeing pictures being built in Manchester, really close to the city centre. And, you know, they've fought hard to have women's clubs at the forefront of that, you know, of those booking spaces. And one of the biggest issues that we have is historical legacy bookers. So men's teams that have been booking a space for 20 years, long before women's football really was an accepted form of exercise. And then when you come in and say, hey, I want to book this space, I'm a women's team. And say, sorry, love, all of the spaces are taken by teams that have been with us for over a decade. It becomes very, very difficult. So that's a positive change that's kind of coming out of this. But I definitely feel like one of the biggest issues we have post Euros is there's a lot being leaning on girls and activation of girls and under 18s. I don't know about you, Hannah, but I get a lot of contact from people saying, like, have you got any under 16s that we can fund to do X, Y, Z? And I'm like, the biggest frustration is the lost generation of, of women's footballers, of people that have come through 20, 30 years of not having access to football that suddenly want to start playing and we're kind of the missing gap where we haven't got access to the same funding and a lot of these girls these girls camps and these girls football sessions are being heavily funded with a lot of support and awesome opportunities and we're not seeing that funding in adult women in the generation that are going to inspire the younger generation to play football and and that's kind of my frustration with it at the moment is I've got 500 plus adults that are inspiring their kids and their grandchildren and their nieces and their nephews. And and we're not getting the same opportunities as maybe the younger girls are as a result of the Euros Legacy Project. I, I, I hear you loud and clear on that one. I don't think we've got much more time, actually, guys, but it was so good to get you on. Thank you very much for sharing a bit of the insight into those stories. And I wonder as well if you could just give a quick plug for your teams. Alex, um, how can anyone join Star, this new team, if they want to? Yeah, if you're in London and you're trans and you want to play football, we're welcome to all abilities. If you've never played before, come and send us a message on Instagram at StarFC2023. Excellent. And then Helen with uh, with yours in Manchester, Manchester Laces. So yeah, we're at Manchester Laces for anyone looking to play football. And then if anyone wants to join a league with their team or as an individual, we are at the AF League. So the AF League, which is short for alternative football. And Hannah, Club United? Yep. Um, any teams that want to come down and play, we're at Clubs United. Um, also any trans non-binary or cis women um, who want to come down and play football as well, please reach out to Camden Bells. Thank you very much and happy Easter. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks so much. That was me speaking to Helen Hardy, Hannah Thornley and Alex McEvitt. Uh, Coming up, it's the international break. First England take on Brazil in the finalissima. I think that's how I'm meant to be saying it. I'm being very English otherwise. I will say finalissima, <laughs> no, finalissima, at a sold-out Wembley Stadium. What do we think of England's chances with this one? Because Brazil have been a team on the rise. Are A lot of people think, oh, it's Marta and Marta alone, but they would be wrong. Some people may look at a, f- a finalissima or the curtain raiser um, for the next period as just a, a warm-up session. But I, I think going into this, both teams will want to set a marker down. And for me, it's really one where you just want to see the talent that is on show. I just want to see a proper game. 
It's the first time it's happened and we all love a first. Uh, For anyone heading to Wembley on Thursday, what I will say about this Brazil team is just expect something very different. If you watched the Olympics in Tokyo and that Olympic team, they are very different to that now. Um, They've got some key injuries as well. So Marta is out with an injury, came back from an ACL injury in February, but now is out with a thigh issue. And Dabinha and Ludmila are out through injury as well. So some of those big names will be missing. Um, On to kit next, because England won't wear white shorts for the World Cup. It's to help with period anxiety. We're back to that again, Art. Um, (laughs) Thoughts about the new design, though? I'm going to go for the design with you. Oh, the design. It looks incredible. I think it's quite good, but the design itself looks much better, say, on the England kit than it does the Dutch kit. The Dutch kit I'm not with. Um, <laughs> Let, but, let's just talk England. Let's just talk okay, England kit. And, England. And, and England click. And let's just talk the England kit. And you can go for the home and away. I I had a message through this morning. I'm on a WhatsApp group for women's football with some of my mm. mates, and it was saying '90s vibes mm. are coming through. What were your initial thoughts when you saw those those pics? Uh, initial thoughts was I liked the colorway with the armband because. Surprise, surprise, the first person I saw modeling it was Leah Williamson. <laughs> so, oh, of course. Yeah. So obviously I saw um, the armband, uh, the red armband uh, with the the white shirt and the blue shorts. And I just thought, yeah, it, it goes. And then the away shirt, I think, is really nice. I just feel, yeah, it's a bit more unique than than usual. And it, it almost looks like a training shirt, which sometimes, actually a lot of the times, are actually better than the actual I'm going to hold my hands up. At the Euros, I went for the training top. Yeah. That was the one that we had in our house. We went for the training top. And I do agree. I think that there is something about that away kit that's Mm. drawing me to it more. I think maybe it's the design throughout the whole shirt that helps Mm. it. Um, Mm. And I I haven't seen, like, the the name and number fonts yet, but um, I hope they actually complement the shirts as well because sometimes – Sometimes teams can get those wrong. But for now, I can see the 90s vibe. I didn't even think of that in my own head before until you said it, but I can see it, yeah. We have run out of time for this week's Athletic Women's Football podcast. Thank you very much, Art. It's been a pleasure having you on again. Cheers for having me. And yeah, I hope everyone has a good week. Excellent. And yeah, happy Easter, I guess. We're getting to that time, aren't we? Happy Easter for everybody, Uh, including our producer, Sophie. She'll be nibbling down on some eggs, I'm sure. Uh, Most importantly as well, thank you for listening. Keep tagging us on socials. You can use the hashtag AthleticWFP and the handles if you want to get in touch ahead of the next record with some of your queries or theories at The Athletic FC and at Offside Rule Pod. We'll see you next time. The Athletic.